Welcome to Takeaways, Life Lessons Learned. I'm your host, Hayam Mizrahi, recording from MDL Group. Recognized market leaders in commercial real estate brokerage and property management in Las Vegas, Nevada. Join me as I explore my takeaways from the people who have influenced me the most. Let's get started. I am here with an incredibly special guest who will be my co-host, recapping our takeaways from the NAOP programs for January, February, and March, and we're going to do them in three episodes. NAOP, as you know, is the Association for the Commercial Real Estate Development Community, and if you spent any time around NAOP, around NAOP programs, you'll know my co-host already. Her name is Mariana Honeycutt. You say your name. You say it so much nicer. (laughs) It's pronounced Mariana. Mariana Honeycutt. You're a civil engineer at Kimley Horn. Welcome, and thank you for doing this. Thanks for being my co-host in these series of NAOP takeaways. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. All right, let me give you the proper intro so everyone who doesn't know you knows who you are. Mariana Honeycutt. Did I do it all right? Yes, all right, perfect. Awesome. You're a licensed engineer and a practice builder with Kimley Horn and Associates. What I know what a civil engineer is. What does it mean to be a practice builder? A practice builder is a well-rounded consultant in the development community. So we are not just here to provide civil engineering services, but we view our consulting services more as a holistic approach. So we raise our community up, we raise our our clients up, we raise our team up as practice builders. Got it. So you specialize in private sector land development here in Southern Nevada. You've been doing that for the last eight years. You have commercial development experience in retail, industrial, mixed use, office, military, sports venues, and gaming development. Is there anything else out there in the world of commercial development that you haven't done? (laughs) I think we've touched a little bit of everything. That's kind of the privilege of being here in Las Vegas. Fair enough. Land of opportunity. (laughs) That's right. So you graduated from the University of Portland with a bachelor's degree in civil engineering and environmental engineering. You have a master's degree in environmental sciences and policy from New York's Bard College. And if that wasn't enough, you continued. You're a certified Envision sustainability professional. Yeah, is that... Correct? Correct. Correct. Cool. And just like me, a developing leader institute graduate with NAOP, you were in the 2018 class. So I'm going to stop there. There's a couple more things, but we'll, we'll bring those up later. So that's the official intro and the official welcome. Well, thank you, Haim. <laughs> Very kind words. <laughs> that's just your bio. <laughs> we'll get into kind words later. I've got some, I've got some teed up. So we're going to talk about the NAOP breakfast programs. This is a committee that I've been on now, I think three or four years. You've been on probably two two, coming two now, coming two years. Uh, It's a committee obviously near and dear to me and clearly it is near and dear to you. Here's the nice comment. Um, And I think everybody would agree. The current chair of the of the programs committee is Dan Tutland and he's doing an incredible job this year. I would give high percentage of credit, 70, 80% of everything that we've seen out of NAOP programs to you. And he, he would agree with that. (laughs) 
It's a team effort, that's for sure. We've got a great team on that committee. <laughs> so I look back, and, and the last time I sat down to do a NAOP takeaways was February of 2020. Yeah. It was yeah. A, a retail panel, and it was awesome and lively and robust, and there was a buzz and clamoring, and shazam, everything shut down. So here we are back where we're sitting here. It's mid-March. And we're going to talk about first the January breakfast program. And the interesting thing, the sort of behind the scenes was this was the program that almost never was because we were bashing our heads against the wall for a couple months saying, what the hell are we going to talk about? We were really struggling for a while there. It, it was hard. You know, the whole year, uh, you know, of 2020 during the pandemic, trying to come up with relevant uh, informational material for the membership uh, we had talked about actually fairly recently how in the past we would have programs scheduled, you know, months out in advance with great topics. Um, 2020 was really a reactive, uh, reactionary mm -hmm. type of experience from the programs committee standpoint. Um, so, you know, towards the end of the year, we were we were kind of there's a lot of uncertainty. Well, what do we do? Yeah. And what what is what can we it was like November, December. What can we even think about for January that's going to be relevant in January when nobody knew what was happening just a few weeks away? Now, we should say that typically for NAOP, the January program is the annual forecast event. We fly in a snazzy economist. We have snazzy local economist we have brokers on and we talk about uh in depth what's happening and we forecast what's going to happen which that's that would have been a bunch of bubkis for january of 2021 to try and plan that forecasting is it was laughable at that point <laughs> so i think it might was it dan that came up with the idea of a developers panel well, you know, we, we were all kind of throwing ideas out there. There was, you know, the thought about a broker's panel, developer's panel. Um, so it definitely was a, a group effort coming to that conclusion. Uh, he was the one pushing because we were fully expecting that this was going to be an in-person event. And when right. we talked about a developer panel, he set the, the vision for us all that we would have the stage. And everyone picture this. You're at the Orleans. It's the NAOP breakfast program. We're all back live after not being there for several months. And it's going to be a developer panel. We were planning to have six developers sitting on stools, distanced from each other on the stage. And then it was like, no, 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 no. We're not ready for in-person events. Cool. So we, we pivoted. Right. Right. And I, I remember when we were thinking of this idea, really, I, I really had to reflect, you know, as a younger member in, in the organization, uh, I really just kind of went back to the roots of what what would I want to hear as a young member, as someone who is an engineering, so you know, not a broker, not a uh, property manager, you know, you know, someone in the commercial real estate industry who really just is very dependent on the success of you know those kinds of individuals. I wanted to know from developers what they were dealing with, and so collectively, I think we threw those those ideas out there on the table and and organizing this program. And going back to really the fundamentals of what is NAOP, it's the association, I say it all the time, it's the Association for the Commercial Real Estate Development Community with the core members being developers. They call, they're called principal members. They are active. That's their job, their day-to-day. -day. And the associate members are, are you and I, the brokers, the engineers, the attorneys, the architects, and whatnot. So all of that context to talk about the January 
NAOP virtual program. The title was Developer Roundtable, a 2021 kickoff. We had on the panel Reed Gottesman with Harsh Investment Properties, Rod Martin with Majestic, John Ramos from Dermody, Jeff Lapore with Lapore. I always love saying that. Not <laughs> me saying that, but when that's said, I always love that. And of course, Jim Stewart with Matter Real Estate. The program was sponsored, of course, by Mike Showit with Compass Development. And there were 374 people that Zoomed in that morning. That was one of our highest attendances to an, a program and, and I think most of the year prior. It was, yeah, what a crowd. Now, oh, the other thing we should talk about, what we changed about this. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because this is where you were got instrumental. A little, got a little creative. <laughs> <laughs> I would say a lot, a lot creative. So another point of context. NAOP programs are always smooth running and they're not smooth running by accident. They're smooth running. And I just talked about this with Katrina and the last takeaways. They're smooth running because of the, the standard of preparation that NAOP imposes on anybody who says I'm going to be a part of it. And, you know, we're going to talk about the February panelists. I mean, all high ranking people in our state and, and everybody, it doesn't matter who you are. You are, if you're participating you are going to be subject to the same level of preparation for a lot of reasons and a lot of good reasons. One of those things is the pre-call. And so here's what happens. On the programs committee, somebody is the uh, event coordinator and they have roles and responsibilities. One of the things that they have to do is schedule a pre-call with all the speakers and panelists. And the pre-call does a couple of things. Uh, prior to the pandemic, the pre-call, th we didn't have to do uh, technical preparation, but now we do. Here's your virtual background. Here's how, Make sure you can turn it on. Make sure day of you're going to be in a place where there's internet. All this stuff that we take for granted that we go through, Katrina and Jonna go through to make sure everything flies without a hitch, happens on the pre-call. The other things that happen on a pre-call is we get the panelists and speakers all introduced, oriented, and comfortable with each other. It's just as much preparation for them as it is for the committee because they want to go through, well, great, you invited me to talk on your panel. What do you want me to say? What does your audience want to hear? They all ask those correct questions. So this is a chance for them to go through that. And over the years, my three, four years on the committee, your two-ish plus years on the committee, we look at each other, those of us that are involved, and we're like, oh, the pre-calls are gold <laughs> because it's relaxed. It's, um, what's the word? It's not form. It's, un it's informal. It's organic. Organic. Yeah. And the conversations, they're always fantastic. And then, we're, you know, as the committee folks, we're trying to direct these people and say, hey, make sure you say that. Make sure you say that. And then the moderator can pick up bits and pieces that, okay, before the thing ends, we have got to talk about this, this, and that. So that's all the context around the pre-call that led us up to what we did differently. And I'm going to stop talking and you describe what happened in January. So the January program, once we decided the developers panel was the way to go, one thing that I broached to the, the committee was, you know, we've gone through a year of these programs in the same, you know, new virtual format. And we knew membership the community as a whole was you know that that virtual fatigue right everyone has been on plenty of zoom calls it's uh it definitely is draining it's just another another zoom call right so this year we thought about doing something a little bit 
different where we don't have essentially that we didn't have the panelists uh the speakers live at the event um, over a live uh, stream uh, we thought let's record them having a casual conversation together as if the membership of the attendees could be a fly on the wall you know imagine these guys grabbing a beer together and you know, some of those conversations are just, like you said, they're pure gold. And to be able to have the opportunity to sit in something like that and uh, to hear what they have to say is just invaluable. It's so insightful. Uh, so we, we approached the, the idea to Katrina, who, um, you know, was just absolutely amazing in executing this. And uh, it was an, an inc- had an incredible uh, response as well for the final product. But it, it definitely was a different take. And, you know, I think that it allowed us to have the flexibility to, you know, edit this and add features and, and B-roll slides and really enhance and create a very engaging um, presentation. A hundred percent. And... <laughs> what you just talked about there where we're like, yeah, we're going to record it. We're then going to produce it. And, um, Nayop has a production company that's worked with them for many years. So no problem there, but there, there were some problems, there were. not so much problems, but it's, well, you're going to produce this movie. Someone has to be the producer. Someone has to be the director. Someone has to be the editor. And you filled all of those hats in, in many big <laughs> ways. How many hours, did you spend watching? So we recorded what an hour and a half of their conversation. Yeah, an hour and a half, correct. And you know, I, I didn't. I, I guess, admittedly, I didn't realize what we were getting into. None of us did. <laughs> None, of us, None did. of us did. We had yeah. this great idea, but uh, you know, probably after recording that, I probably spent an entire weekend um, plus uh, a couple of late evenings uh, following that, working with the production editors and uh giving them literally minute by minute cuts and slices and adding graphic ideas and you know some people say this is just you know why would you why would you spend so much time doing that was it really worth it but for me I love the creative side of this I'm a very creative person naturally and really enjoy um kind of the imagination piece it's always been something that has 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 but you're an engineer I, I am right. <laughs> That's not supposed to be part of what your personality is. It, yeah, I one of I guess one of those atypical ones that you might run across, right? It, it definitely is a uh, has uh, been beneficial throughout my career as well. But I, you know, I really just love this opportunity. I had so much fun with it, and I, I really wanted to make it something different for the audience, um, something that kind of shook it up a little bit, and would really engage, you know, folks and and be something different. And we did, and we I think knocked it out of the park the whole thing just knocked it out of the park i'm going to go back for a second um the the one thing you mentioned is the time you spent i want to talk about that for a second but then also then we'll go back and talk about uh what was going on when we were recording this whole thing because i think it's (laughs) funny too but uh you spent god knows how many hours i i watched this thing start to finish seven times myself and I didn't do a fraction of the work that you did (laughs) but seven hours easy seven plus hours and on the one hand someone can ask me the same question how could you spend where do you even have the time why do you spend that time every single time I watch this I got something else and something more out of it 
and the level of the level that it has informed me and in my in my conversations with clients for the last two months i is just there's no replacement for that absolutely that's how much good stuff was in this you know it was so hard to edit this down too we started like you said with an hour and a half of material and i got it down to an hour and i was like you know, Katrina, can we please, can we make this work? It's, I don't know what else to cut. I've spent all weekend on this and, uh, nope. Katrina's like, we gotta get down half an hour. Yeah. So, you know, there's a, so much good information in there. Um, but you know, the, edit, the, the benefit of being able to edit this stuff is you could piece things together where they kind of fit mm-hmm. in later in the conversation too. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think it was just a, a tremendously great idea. All right. So let me go back and set something else up. See if you remember this. So it's me, you, Dan Tutland, Katrina. Who else from the committee was on the first call that we started recording? Do you remember? There were a couple other. Mike Showit. Mike Showit was on there. Uh, I feel like I'm missing somebody. Was Reed? Well, Reed was on the Reed thing. Was on the, okay. But he was like our plant. We'll, we'll talk about that. <laughs> there was one other. Sorry if we for, whoever we forgot, but we definitely <laughs> forgot somebody. So here's what we did. We got all the developers on the call, on the Zoom. And we're all on the Zoom. And then we said, all right, gentlemen, we're all going to turn off our videos and you guys just take it from here. You remember that? I do. I remember this. It was. (laughs) So we're muted and our videos are off and then they start. And then we're all like, somebody started a a text with everybody. It was such an awkward start. I'm going to play the beginning of it. We'll put in the audio because it's, it's worth mentioning how it all started. And it was also, it was captured in the video where Jim Stewart was kind of like, I thought it was going to be this, but it's that we'll do that in a second. But as they started talking, we were all in the sort of, we were the flies on the wall and we're just texting each other. Oh my God, this is so good. (laughs) Oh my God, this is gold. Yep. Once they really got going, yeah. you know, the first few minutes, um, and thank goodness, Reed did such an excellent job, like our helping, plant. yeah, our plant helping get that going. But, uh, you know, by the end, you know, I, I would say probably the first 20 minutes in, they were on a roll. And it's funny because part of those hours to prepare for this, I spent so much time drafting questions and discussion <laughs> topics. And I they forgot about that. They didn't touch a single one. They, and and it wasn't anything that was, it wasn't a bad thing. Mm-hmm. They highlighted so many discussion topics and, and, you know, key insights that were very relevant. And I didn't even think about, and the committee collectively, you know, is it it great information to them. So it's just funny how that worked out. <laughs> let's see. Let's see if this will come through. I'm going to play the beginning of the video. Let's see how they started. Just a couple seconds of it. Here's Jim Stewart. Well, this is, it says developer roundtable 2021 kickoff. I'll tell you that this is being moderated a, a bit to kind of spark the conversation. I must have missed that. Um, so oh, I, I think I we, well, I guess, well, let's, let's try to spark our own conversation. I don't think you need to worry about hurting anybody's feelings. If you want to tell me that my product is crap, go right ahead. <laughs> Nobody needs to tell you that. It's kind of universally known. You do all the time, Jim. <laughs> yeah. Hey, a good looking building is a full building, right? That's exactly right. Who needs any awards? Cash flow. So that was like the opening riff. It's it's was it five buddies just getting together talking about what they do. 
Yeah, I loved it. It was so organic. It was great. And I think it really highlights, it was what I loved about keeping that piece in there is it really highlights the character of these gentlemen. I just, in my time getting to know them over recent years, have just been absolutely blown away by these individuals. And, you know, you might think, you know, getting a bunch of really prominent, successful developers together, there might be some tensions in there, right? There's probably some information that they know and they you know, want to share and um, they can't. Um, opportunities that they're pursuing that, you know, may conflict. But they were just wonderful to each other and and hilarious. And I loved it. So I loved that dynamic. And that's a perfect segue for us to start getting into the takeaways our takeaways of that program. And there were a couple moments in there where you saw exactly everything you just said was illustrated where even John was asking uh, Jeff and Jim about, they have office projects coming out of the ground right next to each other. And he said that exact thing. Aren't you guys, you know, competing or is there enough for both of you? And while they acknowledged that, yeah, there's going to be competition for some of the same tenants, but the reality is we're both in this together cliche but yeah that's is, that's essentially what came out so what i what I, what struck me is how they how they got started after this opening riff about you know let's start let's start our own conversation and you know rod uh self-deprecating and jim acknowledging or confirming <laughs> that it, that uh what did he say that he was um his buildings are ugly or something right, like that something like that <laughs> and then they go into it john asks jeff how's the restaurant business it's like what yeah. like you spent, you know, you have three pages of things to talk about. Nowhere in there is how's the restaurant business. But right. that's what what that was the jump off point. Yeah. They, you know, and they care about each other. They, they like to know how how they're doing and um, you know, hear their stories and their trials and tribulations. So not I don't know if many people know or don't know, but Jeff Lepore is a developer, but he's also in the pizza business. He's got a restaurant in Summerlin, and that's what John was asking about, and that's what he answered about. And the analogy he drew between restaurants suffering a hundred-year pandemic uh, was the uh, the analogy he drew to what developers suffered in the global Great Recession. And the takeaway was, you learn to be more profitable with less overhead. Efficiency. And efficiency. And that was the jump-off point that then Reed grasped onto and said, no one got it worse than an owner in in Southern Nevada with retail properties and restaurants in Chinatown during what was called the Chinese virus. But then he said, you know, for us looking back, it was basically a, a small pause. We have never been more busy, direct quote, we have never been more busy with restaurants in our Chinatown property. And in fact, we're spending a million and a half dollars on refacing the building the west side of our building in Chinatown. Just amazing, impressive, and and unexpected to hear too, which I thought was really interesting about that conversation. The other unexpected thing that happened in that moment that changed everything about Nayot Programs forever, from that moment and forever, is as he was talking to the guys, he was in his office, he turned around and said, you see this building here? Because he had one of those foam boards about the building, which gave, I think it was you the bright idea, Let's put in the building. Are there, it might have been his idea, actually. We, if, if you don't give Reed credit for his idea, you're going to get in trouble. <laughs> Reed, it was your idea, buddy. He said, let's put in those images. And that actually changed our production for this program and made it awesome. It's the first time we actually create a B-roll onto our uh, 
program uh, presentations. And we've actually incorporated that and maintained it through our virtual formats that we've continued to this day. What is a B-roll for those who don't know? <laughs> I learned during this <laughs> January program as well, a B-roll. I Googled it too. <laughs> a B-roll is a, a series of slides or clips that you can bring into a discussion while you're still running the audio. Um, basically, it comes in with various images or a short clip um, that can play while the audio is running. So we incorporated that in the February program and in the March program, Correct. all because Reed stood up and turned around and said, you see this building right here? And we all squinted because we couldn't see it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so then the conversation went to a couple of things that really jumped out. One was land and land ownership. That came from a question Reed said to, to Jeff, why are you so active so much more active in Arizona than you are in Southern Nevada. And then he said, wait, is that even true? And Jeff said, yes, it's true. And a couple of reasons he says, one is he can get scale there and get scale quickly. And that specifically came down to land ownership and the contrast between Southern Nevada and a market like Phoenix. And that spurred a whole bunch of stuff. Oh my goodness. Yeah. It spurred our next uh, program topic. <laughs> oh, uh -huh. now we're giving away some uh, coming attractions. <laughs> so one other cool creative thing that came out of this year's series of, of NAOP programs from January to February to March, everybody bear with me because I'm going to go on a little tangent. There was historically 30 minute and one hour TV episodes and showmakers had to live within those constraints. The other medium was two-hour movies until streaming services like Netflix came out and changed the way that the medium can be delivered. And what they do essentially now on a Netflix series is they film what is essentially a five-hour movie and they break it down into either half-hour, hour episodes. Series. Series. They deliver it all to the consumer and then you can binge watch them. So NAOP programs is no different. We took what our old constraints were married them to our new mediums and we created from january to march essentially a series that's a continuum and we'll talk more about that so hold that in your minds as we continue and talk about february and march and to to give Haim some credit there he definitely coined this idea that's right and then that helped us connect all the pieces that's together right. see i get credit <laughs> too guys all right so back to our dudes our developer dudes, they talked about land ownership. Another massive takeaway for me, a big eye opener is when they talked about capital in our market and specifically institutional capital. And they talked about it in two forms. One is when did institutional capital come here for projects for industrial? And later in the program, they talked about it. They talked about it for office. And the big takeaway there is there has never been a building. None of them could think about a single building in Southern Nevada, office building, that was built with institutional capital. It's all been private developers. Right. The big, the big difference between what they've seen in other markets and successes and diversification in other markets as well. That and the fact that you can't buy finished land here in Southern Nevada. Right. Which, yep. you know, I'm a Las Vegas native. I grew mm -hmm. up in the real estate industry here. That's something I would take for granted. Just not knowing anything different, I would assume that that's the same everywhere. Turns out that's not true. Right. Another thing I appreciated in this conversation when they talked about you can't just buy a parcel and it's ready to go and you know exactly what to put on there. That every single parcel that these active developers are involved with, and, and you know this better than anybody, is they say it has hair on it. So when they say that in their nomenclature, what does that mean when they come to you and say, hey, I'm looking at this 
you know, seven acre parcel here in the Southwest, it has hair on it. What does that mean? Well, you know, a lot of what we're seeing now in Las Vegas is just this limited availability of land. And so that that is left um, has what you hear has hair on it. Uh, geotechnically, there could be issues with the soils. You could be a lot of th- these properties are on fault fault zones. Um, what does that mean? Uh, you got a big crack in the earth underneath. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no good for buildings. Um, you know, in some of the outskirts, uh, I'm thinking like the uh, Henderson area that's really starting to explode, and even talking about um, you know even further south than that, M Resort. You know, getting utilities out there, uh, water, sewer power is huge especially with e-commerce booming right now you know getting um, power for these logistics centers um, to meet the demand is is a big undertaking for sure very very costly if um, you don't have any of these utilities adjacent to your frontages and how long does it take so if some if one of the developers comes to you and says all right i'm looking at this parcel how long does it take from that conversation to all right we're ready to start grading and, and put a building on here you know, it's a t- typical due diligence period. I've seen it range between 60 to 120 days, and it really does depend on... But that's just to understand what you have. That's just to understand okay. what's going on there. And there's a lot of, um, obviously, a lot of uh, design consultants involved in that process. You've got architects, engineers, um, and geotechnical engineers. Uh, you know, there's a, a lot that's involved in the planning process as well. So you're understanding your zoning criteria, so it's a big, it's definitely a big undertaking and a lot of players involved, stakeholders um, with the public agencies and the utility purveyors that need to have these discussions with. So it's a, uh, it's a process for sure. Utility purveyor was set in the March program. Correct. In the questions, <laughs> in the Q&A that you handled. Um, so <laughs> John, John is great at poking. I don't know if you noticed that in these things. Yes. He's yes. so good at like boop. Boop, boop, boop. <laughs> so John says, hey, Jim, I was in, in town and I was because John moved up to Reno with Dermody. I was in town and I drove by your site over at, at Uncommons. How, how's that going? How? No, he asked, how has the time that elapsed basically since you bought it uh, to now uh, going through a pandemic and all that other stuff? How has that changed anything for you? And Jim, <laughs> Jim joked, he said, we're going all industrial now. <laughs> and then they all laughed and. And there, but in that one question and in that, in the answer that came out of it, there's so much to unpack as far as what is actually happening right now. Right. So first he started with, I bought the dirt for $18 a square foot, (laughs) which then uh, Rod said, I thought you overpaid. And they joked about that. But in retrospect, he bought the dirt, Jim bought the dirt for $18 a square foot. He said that. So land prices went up from there, which if he wanted to, he could have just uh, improved the land like we talked about, right. fixed all the issues with it, and then sold it to other developers and made a profit. Right. So that was one thing. Uh, but that's not what he does. He made that clear. That's not what anybody does. It's no fun just to do that. Um, so they joked about the changing it to industrial. He then went through and said, you know, they've been cataloging internally. It, it wasn't just a pandemic. It was civil unrest. You know, going back to last year was fascinating. It's like you can see what happened last year, you know, reflecting back on Jim's project and what he went through and probably everybody else's, but he was the one talking about it. Right. Civil unrest in the in the spring and summer. A wiry election, uh, controversy around the election, all this stuff happening, and these guys are just trying to 
take dirt and, and put some buildings there for somebody to come and occupy it. Right. And what I gathered from his discussion was he truly wanted something experiential for people, something for them to enjoy, something that he felt was a strong drive and desire for the community and something needed at the time because of a lot of those those issues that had, were raised, especially during 2020. You know, all the business books you read talk about having your why and having a mission and a- anything you touch with any sense of leadership around it. It's get clear on your why and have a mission. And when Jim was talking about his project, all of that came to the surface. He's not just putting up buildings for an IRR. He is really trying. He has a, a massive why and he has a massive mission. And I think this is a game changer, too, for the future of our our industry, of our community, for this forethought, you know, to see this and to help be part of what making it makes it come to fruition. That's the kind of positive change that I think we as a community need to continue to strive for. Um, that's what makes makes differences. Yeah, 100 percent. I will say this. Matter could have easily designed and developed on commons, just like every other building in the market, and they would have leased it up pretty much just the same. That they went over and above for, it's not just experiential, there's health Mm -hmm. and wellness wrapped into all that. Uh, There's, if you get Jim on a riff on this, he goes for 90 minutes, and all of it is a productive 90 minutes. There's so much thought and design that goes into this thing to really elevate Everything, not just the project, but everything in our community. Right. And I loved how he credited the design team as well. Uh, I think that's something that we're obviously, as a design consultant, we're very passionate about doing that kind of work and delivering for our community in that way. So I just think that was great. And it really represented how much, uh, you know, teamwork goes into these these uh, ambitions for sure. Yep. He definitely emphasizes that over and over. It's not just us. We're not, Mm -mm. we're not, you know, we don't get, it's the team. It's the team. It's the team. I want to point out one more thing and then we'll go over to the industrial guys. So part of the fun about recording this and then producing it is we get to play around a bit. And one of the things we got to play around was, so they're talking about office development and they're talking about how Jeff and Jim have new ground up spec offices going in Southern Nevada in a pandemic when work from home is now the the headline of everything. And massive companies in America are saying we're never leasing space again. And they are at the, you know, rebuffing that headline on its face because they've been, they've been here before. These are tried and true developers. They've seen the cycles. They've seen the trends. Uh, this trend isn't a new trend. This trend happened in the tech world where, you know, where everyone's working virtually in IBM. There's, you can Google it. IBM brought everybody back because it didn't work and it doesn't work for human behavior. And Jeff was really making this point. And Jim was really making this point. And Reed was making this point when he said, just, I mean, just look, look at us, look at all of us. We're all in our offices and they're all kind of looking around the zoom screen. (laughs) One rods in his office, John's in his office, Jeff's in his office, Reed's in his office. And Jim was not in his office. <laughs> and Jim, I think, was the one who mentioned that, right? <laughs> yeah. Was it Jim that brought it up? I think up? he was the one who brought it up. And he's like, well, I'm the hypocrite here. But <laughs> yep. So then it was like uh, they, the production team made everything go quiet. They brought in the crickets. The crickets. They zoomed in on Jim. <laughs> and he did say, he's like, well, I guess I'm the hypocrite. And that was 
hysterical. But, you know, he, he's absolutely right. And it's interesting to me, you know, as a younger person in the industry, um, you know, we've always been told that there's going to be this natural progression towards more virtual formats. And, and you know, COVID-19 uh, kind of forced us into that practice. Obviously, work from home was a, a big change for many many businesses, um, myself included, we, we were, had to do work from home nearly the an entire year. Um, so at first I thought, oh, this is very doable. I was part of that on the bandwagon. Let's do this and let's, you know, help promote these virtual formats. And, and uh, in a sense, it was good uh, because there was a lot of ways that we discovered we could function and coordinate and do things virtually, which definitely saved a lot of time in many instances. But Oh, probably a solid three months in at least, you start getting a little stir crazy and you start real, really realizing the value of in-person relationship building and really what these NAOP networking events are all about. Um, even since being, you know, back in the office with, with our full team, it just immediately you realize this is the right place to be. So I, I really found that to be very interesting and insightful, that discussion they had. As an office broker, I get asked this all the time. I was asked this at nauseum last year, as you can imagine. What do you think about work from home, work from home, work from home? And I have a couple of thoughts on it. One, why, if this is such a thing and this is where we're going and everybody's going to work from home, why then was the uh, leading trend in office space leading up to this synergy in the workplace? Right. How do you get synergy in the workplace in a virtual setting? It's a great example. There's yeah. no way. And mm -hmm. so then you say, well, why is synergy so important? Well, because we're talking about people. And who are people? People are social creatures. Right. Even an introvert draws energy in a way from people around them in some ways. Extroverts, absolutely. So that, that was one of the positions I took last year that... There's no way the entire world is going to work from home. What will happen, though, is options are going to be opened up. Uh, if, if we didn't have a work from home option before as a company, because we just didn't need it, nobody thought about it, we didn't care about the technology, everyone, you come to the office Monday through Friday, and that's, that's how it works. Now the option will be on the table, I think. Um, you can work from home without being fully docked. However... Now, there, now there's a however. If an employer is granting that, that privilege, not that entitlement, not that expectation, if they're granting that, what is the exchange back? And there, there, then there will have to be innovations in productivity, in my opinion. So we went on our own little riff, not the takeaways from the developers. But that's good. Yeah, so interesting. And, you know, I think uh, just to, to touch on that note, too, just the synergy that you were talking about earlier you know, as we're trying to create more productive and efficient environments in the workplace, and, you know, for me personally, trying to, to mentor that next generation, right? It's just so critical to be there in person, you know, helping communicate this. And I found that there was a lot of disconnects during the time where I couldn't gauge how someone was doing mentally, mm -hmm. how they were doing, um, you know, you know, personally, not that a lot of that information needs to be divulged, but these little nuances, you know, the water cooler, mm -hmm. you know, traditionally you talk about conversations at the water cooler, saying good morning to someone as you walk in, 
those things uh, build culture and, and among in the office, but amongst your company, your firm, it's just integral to the success of, I think, any business. A hundred and ten percent. Let's jump over to the next big topic that they brought up. And I think it was a riff. It started as a riff from Jeff to Rod about clear heights over time. And I don't know if you, if you remember how they started it. Jeff said to Rod, okay, so let me back up. They were talking about land and uh, getting land and the price of land and all the hair that comes with land and all this. And Jeff said to Rod, because uh, so Majestic has land holdings in the Southwest on a ground lease. So they basically have control of the land and they can develop it as needs arise. I may be way oversimplifying that, but that's, that's the gist of what, where the discussion was going. But Jeff said to Rod, you know, you have been the most consistent and focused developer over time, meaning you're in the Southwest and you build industrial and you, you're in every cycle. Like Jeff, for example, has built hotels and he's in, in Phoenix and he's doing stuff in Denver. And Jim has industrial, but he also has mixed use. And Dermody is all over Nevada. And Harsh has a spattering of all product types. But Rod is a Southwest industrial developer. And then Rod, Rod was like, so you're saying I'm the most unimaginative developer? <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> yeah, but then, no, Jeff was like, no, that's clearly not what he was saying. Where, where he, what he wanted to pull out of Rod, which was fascinating, was... He then said, I have this debate constantly, and it was about clear heights and industrial. And where, So in designing an industrial building, there, there have only been a few innovations over the last few decades. One of them was sprinkler systems. Another one was clear heights. And where clear heights were, 26 feet. I don't, I'm not an industrial broker, so you can correct anything I'm saying that's wrong. Um, then they went to 30 or 28 and 32 and 36. And the reason they kept going up is because as um, third-party logistics companies come in, they start racking products into the warehouse, right. so they have to go up. And if they're going up, they want a higher warehouse ceiling. Right. So they're, now they're, these guys on our Zoom call are about to get into a massively technical conversation around clear heights. Right. <laughs> Which probably went over a lot of people's heads, or at least we thought it would. Um, and so we provided some of those B-roll Correct. images. Correct. But for help. the B-rolls yes. that, that were defining things like when they, so when they went from that, they went from, uh, they talked about crosstalk. What's a crosstalk? So the B-roll came up and it showed a crosstalk with a definition at the bottom. Right. They talked about a spine. They talked about a step in the building. And so this part, this, this is the part of the video where I just sit back and it's, it's giddy in a way. I could care less about spines personally, <laughs> but to watch uh, the energy, the synergy, the interaction, the interaction yeah. between Rod and Jeff and Reed around. So Reed is asking, Rod was asking Reed about a building that he has, uh, in, that he's developing now in, in uh, North Las Vegas, where the spine on one side of the building, or it might've been the clear height on one side was a different one than the other. And then the spine was, I don't know exactly the conversation, but they're going into all this and they're giddy about it. And Rod looked at a brochure and immediately recognized why the clear heights would be different on one side than the other. Right. I thought that was so fascinating. And I mean, as an engineer too, like these, these things make, make differences, right. And your design planning and concept, what, what type of property you have, what your topography is like across this, what you want your operations and maneuverability to look like. 
these all come into play and what they're trying to get at is it really is dependent and unique to the situation and to the needs um, of the operations. It, there's no one one size fits all. A hundred percent. Where do they go next? They went to two topics that then spurred the next couple of programs for us. Right. And this is where the Netflix special comes in. So in episode one, it's this you know, big introduction to all the characters and the character development and all the themes that are going to happen. And then episode two goes deeper into, into a couple of those themes. So they talked about land constraints. I mean, that was really uh, an ongoing theme in their discussion around, around development. Um, that kicked off our February program. And then they also talked about, and what, one thing I love about these things, these programs, is when somebody says something that gets everybody else to stand up. And Jim did this around economic, the messaging around economic development in Southern Nevada. And I want to spend some time on this to make sure that, you, that we're getting it right to this audience. He prefaced it. He said, I am probably going to get in trouble for this. But it seems, and now I'm using, I'm paraphrasing what he said. Right. It seems absurd to me that you've got Henderson, North Las Vegas, Clark County, this Las Vegas, the municipalities, with their own economic development offices, and then you've got a regional economic development office in the LVGEA, the Las Vegas Global and Economic Alliance, and why they're not all coordinating their efforts and going to Southern California with a provocative message. Now, that's Jim's perspective. His perspective as an active developer actively developing office and industrial properties in Las Vegas. I will say my interpretation of his comments were largely around offices, not so much around warehouses. And largely around offices, when we think about who goes into an office, we think about corporate headquarters. And that's not a thing in Southern Nevada, that you have corporate headquarters. You have offices, but it's not the corporate headquarters where the C-suite is here in any meaningful way. Right, right. It's a, it's a really interesting and, and good point that he brought up, I think, in that sense. Because, you know, you've got North Las Vegas, Henderson. I mean, industrial's booming up there. They are bringing incentives to have those those uh, developers come out to those parts of, of town. But, yeah, for office... I don't think I don't think they're aware of of the incredible need and desire and it's interesting because we had a lot of feedback following that program from the agencies from the utility companies you saying hey that was really interesting you know can I have their contact or I would love to hear more about this topic and their suggestions on where we should be who should we should be talking to because you know a lot of the time they're making assumptions too, just based on, on what they're seeing and what the demand is at the time. So perfect points because, you know, Jim made a comment based on his experience. Now, Jim, to his defense and anybody's defense, Jim is in his world. He is um, extremely active in what he's doing. He has obligations and responsibilities to his team at Matter, to his investors, to his shareholders and stakeholders. So his perspective is that perspective. Now, in that perspective, that's been his experience. There was a basketball player. I read an article, and I was trying to find it for this to credit the right place. I don't know if it was Michael Jordan or who, but it was somebody of that stature. And they were being criticized either by a fan or by a journalist. You know, Jordan is not playing defense. He's not playing good enough defense. And whoever it was, if it was Jordan, the response that he gave was, if I'm doing something 
to make the fan or the journalist feel like I'm not playing enough defense. I need to get to playing defense. It wasn't like, a, you know, I'm offended by what you're saying. Right. I'm upset by what you're saying. It's it was constructive feedback. Yeah, it was. And and here's the reality. It doesn't matter what I think I'm doing. I'm being perceived like I'm not playing defense. Right. All right. I think that's pretty much everything on the developer panel. Yeah. It was Did I miss really anything that you want to include? No, I think that was an incredible summary. Great. Touching all the good key points. So then the the coming attractions, February was then your idea, 100% credit to you on this one. You said, let's get Betsy Fretwell as a, either a speaker or a moderator or what have you. For March. Was that March? The oh, land, oh, the oh, land oh, one. We skipped right. the land. Yeah. But okay, fair enough. The land Correct. one was coincidentally, actually, I got to give David Strickland a lot of credit for this one because... We had talked about land availability and the January program as just a key topic, and it kept coming up in the discussions. And Mm -hmm. coincidentally, um, it tied very well with the lands bill, which David Strickland has been incredibly involved in. Uh, So that really set up the framework for our uh, February program. All right. February was land. Right. March was? March was really diving into the topic that ended in and that the January program concluded in on economic development and what that means for Southern Nevada. And, you know, when we were thinking about how we were going to stage this, we thought, okay, where can we find out what our site, key site sectors are, uh, or key market sectors, excuse me, what those are, and that's where we need to start. And, and, that will framework our program for this month. And so you're, you're right. It is an idea I had, but I had nowhere to start, honestly. I was like, I don't, I don't know. Um, you know, to me, I threw out the idea of what about LVGEA, you know? And I remember the initial reaction from the committee when I said that too. It was just like, I don't know. Like, you know, there's a, there's a lot of involvement, just a lot of uncertainty. And I think what that triggered for me was, okay, if we have LVGEA involved, it can't just be, a summary of targets, right? Sector target goals. We and, have to and have... And we said it cannot be just a commercial for LVGEA. For LVGEA, right. correct. We had to be really strategic about mm-hmm. how we approached it. And I felt it was really important that we had an example. We needed some kind of concrete example. So interestingly enough, um, I I just happened to be at the city council um, hearing in Henderson when Haas was selected um, uh, or awarded the, the property in Henderson, there uh, 300 acres, I believe, for their manufacturing um, automation facility. But that wasn't just between the January and March. No, that was a while ago. That was, I think, early 2020, if I recall. Um, and we had all, no, actually it was 2019, I think that happened. Mm-hmm. And th- that entire year, we were struggling to framework a program around that because we knew at the time, this is big. This is a big deal for Southern Nevada. And Reed and I were just racking our brains. I remember trying to think of something we mm-hmm. could do for this. And it just, the timing, just there wasn't anything timing context-wise that we could really nail down. And, and we didn't have a whole lot of contacts. We didn't have a whole lot of information. So it was tough. This presented, I think, a great opportunity to march um, with the combination of Haas, you know, automation and manufacturing topic combined with the key 
sector analysis coming out from LVGEA. And um, I had the, the privilege to be introduced to Betsy Fretwell um, uh, the year prior and uh, was just absolutely just amazed by her and her uh, her character, her, her background, her repertoire. She is just an incredible woman. And that's one thing that I've also on the programs can be very passionate about is bringing um, some more uh, very strong and talented female representatives on our panels as our speakers and moderators. And I thought, you know, I think Betsy could do really well at this. And she was also um, recently appointed as the chairwoman for LVGEA. Uh, a lot of experience with the city of Las Vegas, obviously switched cities. Um, so I thought the combination of Betsy and really focusing on uh, the manufacturing um, sector with Haas uh, Automation would framework just an incredible program and actually i should give give credit to the rest of the committee because i of course was going all on a tangent as like well we should have haas and we should bring in new technology and we should bring in new energy and all these different uh sectors that are come that were trending or we're, we're pushing for in southern nevada and uh the committee definitely has helped me uh kind of rein everything in and really hone in on this one discussion which um, I think could definitely <laughs> carry over into many other sectors for sure. I'm, I'm chuckling because here's the image I'm getting in my mind. I always said like there's, you know, what I love about the programs committee is it lets you kind of pull the thread that you're curious about and see what's there. Here's where that image went in my mind is you start pulling a thread that you're curious about until you've unraveled the entire sport coat or blouse or whatever it is. And it's just a big ball of yarn. <laughs> and you're like, oh, we're going to have this and we're going to have this. And what about this? And, and then the committee all works together in sewing it back to what it needs to be. And then the morning of the breakfast program, it's exactly what it needs to be. It's so fine-tuned. It's incredible. I wish the the audience, uh, you know, the, those listening in on this call could sit into the, that initial monthly program meeting because we are all over the place. Like, it's truly a brainstorming sesh, mm -hmm. and nothing is off the table, right? Uh, but it's incredible how collaborative we are and um, how receptive we all are to feedback, too, I think. And, um, you know, coming into the community fairly new, I I've just really appreciated the ability to speak freely and be able to have your ideas heard. I think that's what really makes a successful planning committee for anything, really. So it's yeah. pretty awesome. We talked about how the programs committee brings these things to life. And you were talking about. Um, how it's just a big brainstorm and we're all over the place and it all comes together. And then the other thing to appreciate is that it all has to come together timely for the NAOP audience. And sometimes we get a program all teed up with all the right people, but it's not for this month. It's going to be for next month. And there's all this juggling to go around to make sure we're delivering the most relevant, the most timely, the most informative programs consistently, which like you said, I mean, for 2020, it was an enormous challenge. Very challenging. <laughs> All right, so we talked about the January program. We gave some sneak peeks as far as what to expect when we talk about in the next episode the February program. The title for that was Land. Well, I'm not going to give the whole title away, but that was the main, main topic. And then the March program was around economic development. Both of those themes came out of the discussion in January and were uh, episodes two and three in our 2021 Netflix special. So that concludes our takeaways from January. The title was Developer Roundtable, a 2021 kickoff. Everybody take out your smartphones or if you're low tech, uh, a pad and paper. 
Mark your calendars. NAOP April program is April 15th, right around 7.50 a.m. You want to get there at 7.50 because Katrina's soundtracks are fire. Thank you, everyone, for listening. If you like what you heard, leave us a review. Leave us a comment. Tune in next time. Thank you for listening. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Takeaways podcast is about sharing and paying it forward. If you like this show, please make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast and leave us a review. It really goes a long way. And if you really like this show, please share takeaways with a friend. Thank you and tune in next time.